Howdy, welcome back to another episode of our weekly podcast. We know you've got a buffet of media to choose from each week. That's why we put a lot of effort into finding stories from the Bible that have relevant lessons for us today. I hope you enjoy. This morning, I want to look at the story of John the Baptist. And we're going to look at this, I think, in a couple of parts. This week will be part one. Next week, we'll continue it. At the very close of the Old Testament, there's a statement or a few statements made that I'd like you to turn with me. The last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, in chapter 4. Uh, I don't know about you, but there are, there are different ways in which people come to know Jesus. Uh, a pattern I've found for men in particular is Men who have been into drugs, sex, and everything the world can throw at them usually become some of the most hardcore religionists. I've tasted what the world could throw at me, and often they overcorrect and they become the enforcers of the law. And so there are different ways in which people come to the Lord. Usually, for people like that, usually young men, 20s, 30s, it's a thunderous message. It's amazing to see the different studies that the Christian church is made up of mostly women. Is it because a, a soft Jesus has been peddled? Uh, words like grace and faith and Things that when you're marketing to men, you don't use those words. And I think what's neat about Scripture is the Lord uses different ways to bring us to Him. So here in the last part of the Old Testament, we read what I would say is some thunderous language. Usually, as the male leading figure goes, so goes the whole family. Usually. So there's a lot of responsibility on men. And I would tell you this thunderous language is probably targeting men. And it says this, chapter 4. Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. All the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubble. The day which is coming shall burn them up. That will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. Skip down some, and it says, verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Not soft, fanciful language. Pretty thunderous language. And when, when God's people remembered Elijah... There perhaps was no greater moment in the ministry and work of Elijah than the moment when he is mocking the false prophets, the false religious leaders of the world, at least who he was calling false, and said, maybe your God is sleeping on vacation. And he literally starts to hurl insults. And then it was basically the God that answers by fire. He is God. And to add insult to injury, he pours water on his sacrifice, pour more water, make it soaking wet, 
fire comes from heaven doesn't just consume the sacrifice, it consumes the very rocks. And almost a, a mic drop moment, then the rains come, God has answered Elijah's prayers. All of Israel was waiting for another Elijah figure. Idol worship, we're told, had pretty much been done away with. They were terrified of worshiping idols because they were literally removed from their land, made slaves in another land. There was no idol worship. What there was, was we must keep the law. And so there was so many rules in their, their religion that you didn't really know what to do other than just don't mess up. And so then there's that promise. And before Jesus comes on the scene, the long-promised Messiah, God does what he felt he needed to do. I have to get people's attention. And I think it's, it's that way in our lives. There are some times when God needs to get your attention. Arrest it. And sometimes a violent, thunderous manner. And so turn with me to Matthew 3. The way the Lord does that is he goes to Jesus' cousin. He goes to Elizabeth and Zacharias and says, you're going to have a son. Yeah, but we're old. How, do, how are we going to have a child? You're going to have a son and his name is going to be called John. And this is how you're going to raise him. And he was raised this Nazarite. And we're told John, John was different, extreme, maybe considered a fanatic. Uh, he didn't go to the rabbinical schools, even though that's what he should have done as the son of a priest. That, that the idea was that that literally would have made him unfit for the work God had called him to do. And I think that's where we have to be careful in our lives. Well, this is the way we've always done it. Tradition says this. If you want to be a leader of a company, you have to go to this school, you have to do this, you have to do this. There's no other way around it. If you want to make a difference, this is the formula. If you want to be somebody, if you want to make a difference, this is it. But somehow God and this angel Gabriel who tells this family, this is the calling of John, and you're going to do this a little differently. Don't send him to those schools. Teach him at home. Let him learn in nature. And we're told John knew of the temptation that called to his soul in the cities of the area. And, and if any of us were really honest, we would know, you take me to this city or that city, I know the temptations, and I know exactly where to find them. And John was smart. He was no... A uh, weirdo that was ignorant and not intelligent. He understood exactly, I know where to find trouble, and therefore I try and avoid staying in the midst of trouble. So he had temptations. And he's out there in the desert where Moses, uh, where David, where all these great men and, and women in history had, had grown up, not amidst all the creation of man, but amidst God's creation. And we're told slowly but surely, he would go into the cities and he would minister to people and he would reach people. And he, he had a science where he really wanted to know what's the psychology of this moment? Like really, how do you influence and persuade people for good? And he would study people and really try and figure out what is it that makes people tick? How do you, how do you really make a difference in somebody's life? And he did this for years and years and years, 
for nearly 30 years preparing for a moment when God would call him for his public ministry. Him and Jesus were six months apart. So John gets on the scene. His whole life has been prepared for this moment. And that's where we pick up in Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching. Where is it to say? In the wilderness. Does not seem the most intelligent place to start your ministry. In the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now that's not a popular way to start your ministry either. Come on out, I'd like to tell you, I'd like to to bring the spirit into your life to convict you that things you're doing in your life are not good things. You should stop doing those things which you probably love. Yet that is his message. And it says in verse 3, For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John himself was clothed in camel's hair, strange, with a leather belt around his waist, his food with locusts and wild honey. And I think that was locust beans, the more that I read about that, and wild honey. So this uh, plant-based, vegan, tree-hugging type dude living in the wilderness, dressing weird. Nazarites usually didn't cut their hair. So he eats weird, he looks weird, he dresses weird. And now he has a message to everyone, stop doing the things you're doing. But that's probably a little soft in how he really went about it. Because verse five says, then Jerusalem, all Judea, all the region around the Jordan went out to meet him. And I think this builds on this idea that we've been touching on. To make a difference in the world, you have to stand out. To anyone, any young person here in school or or that feels the pressure of peer peer pressure and temptation, if you want to make a difference, if you want to be a leader, if you want to be special, don't fit in. And we have so many examples of this. Do something different. And so John, living a totally different life, which, which logically we could say, this isn't, if you want to really reach the people, you can't dress weird. You can't look like, man, get a haircut. You, you got to get to know the people. You can't just come right out of the gate and start telling them to stop doing what they're doing. But we're told here in verse five, everyone is going to see him. There's actually a statement that said, the, the priests and the rabbis had been jealous of John's influence as they saw the people This is where it gets personal, leaving the synagogues and flocking to the wilderness. Okay, now now we have a problem because then it says in verse six, these people were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Verse seven, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, these are the leaders, the politicians, coming to his baptism, he said to them, greetings, gentlemen, I'm glad you're here. Welcome to my event. No, actually he says, he calls them a bunch of snakes. You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Again, if if we were his consultants and his assistants, we'd say, John, this is not the way to win friends and influence people. These are the leaders. We have to 
work and live around these people. You can't call them snakes. It's just not good for business. And he goes on, therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. Also calling them, there's sin in your life. You know it. I know it. God knows it. And you need to cut it out. And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I mean, he's getting to the heart of their pride as a nation. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. I think in some ways that could be an insult. The rocks could be the children of Abraham. You're not special. And then verse 10. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. So far, all right, maybe it's just a crazy man in the wilderness. But then he starts to hint at something that deep down they had feared. Because years earlier, they'd heard the rumors that a king was born. And he says, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnow- and then some more thunderous language. His winnowing fan is in his hand. He will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Such a contrarian way to go about things. Yet somehow, people, even King Herod, loved the candor and honesty of this guy in the wilderness. This guy tells it like it is. I mean, come on, in the last decade, there's been a craving from many of us. I just want somebody to tell it like it is. Quit sugarcoating it. Just tell me the truth. And you can imagine in Israel, nobody was thinking that. That's not the way we do things around here. John comes around and he says, no, this is what you do. You're a sinner and you know it. I don't gain anything if you repent or not, but you need to repent. Because there's somebody coming after me and people are thinking, what is happening? And somehow something attracted people to it. And you think about this. He's prepared his entire life for this. He is a contrarian. He's not winning friends. That's a hard role to be called into. And yet people are coming. That's a strange thing. I'm not telling them neat little cute stories and telling them keep doing what you're doing. I'm literally calling them to repentance. And people are flocking to this. Like deep down they're craving something they don't have. Flocking, flocking. Continue. People continue to come out. Turn with me to John 3. People continue to come out. If you've ever done something where people start to lavish praise on you, you start to wonder, wow, the temptation comes. Maybe this is pretty good. And then the temptations come, well, maybe, maybe if I did it a little different, I mean, oh, this is a hard message. The book Desire of Ages comments on this moment. As people, again, think about this. They're flocking to the middle of the desert near a river. 
They love the idea that someone is calling them to confession and repentance of my, my ways. I've done wrong in life. I'm selfish. I know it. It's like they almost needed someone just to say, turn, go in a different direction. And we read this about this very moment before we jump into John 3, verse 22. In this moment, Desire of Ages describes it like this, a commentary on this. For a time, John the Baptist's influence over the nation had been greater than that of its rulers, priests, or princes. Just let that sink in. The wild, camel-haired guy in the desert has more influence than anyone else. You have to admit, we'd sit there and think, this is odd. And yet when God is doing something, sometimes the odd is how God uses it. If he had announced himself as the Messiah and raised a revolt against Rome, priests and people would have flocked to his standard. They'd have joined him. I think in the strategy of God, he knew sometimes you have to shock someone out of sleep. And if Israel was asleep, the whispers, the, uh, the whispers of Jesus coming along and saying, I can heal you from your physical disease. I want to tell you about the kingdom of heaven. That was not what Israel was looking for. As we've looked in, in messages before, Israel was ready for a king that like Elijah, the one they'd been told about in Malachi, could call fire down from heaven to consume their enemies. And guess what? John fit the bill. He was, he was intimidating. He, he rebuked the leaders. This is our guy. And even some of the priests and people would have come to help him. You, you're the Messiah. We knew it. This is what we're looking for. Every consideration that appeals to the ambition of the world's conquerors Think about that. The Napoleons, the Hitlers, everyone that ever comes along and says, I'll lead. Every consideration that appeals to the ambition of the world's conquerors, Satan had stood ready to urge upon John the Baptist. Lead these people. They love you. They can't get enough of you. But with the evidence before him of his power, so he even knew it. Man, I have an influence. He had steadfastly refused the splendid bribe. John the Baptist was brilliant. He knew exactly the power that he commanded, and he had to daily rebuke the temptation to assert himself, maybe I am the Messiah. Because you know those whispers were coming all the time, especially as people flocked to him. I have arrived. Turn with me, John chapter 3, verse 22. So in the midst of this, and I hope the application comes for us, you're in a good place. God is leading you. Man, nothing can stop you. John is in that moment, and those temptations are flying at him. John chapter 3, verse 22. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea. And there he remained with them and baptized. 
So while all this is going on in one spot, there's this Galilean, a relative of John the Baptist, just six months difference in age. John's been at this only for a few months. 30 years of life preparing him for these last few months. And now Jesus comes The one he'd baptized, this, this was his purpose. Arrest the attention of Israel and point them to the Messiah. And verse 23 says, Now John was also baptizing in Enon near Salim, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. So now you got people getting baptized over here. You got people getting baptized over here. It says, verse 24, John had not yet been thrown into prison. We're going to talk more about that next week. Verse 25. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification, which were some of Jesus' disciples. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. John, we've been the main event. What's he doing? John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. That's a whole sermon. That's a whole paradigm itself. A belief that nothing comes into your life if you're a person that's a person of faith, unless God has said, this is coming into your life. 28, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. The temptation coming from his very disciples, his close friends is, shouldn't you be concerned about this guy getting the attention that we had? I mean, just days ago, now some of our people are going over there. And then verse 30, it gets very pointed. John says, he must increase, but I must decrease. Then he shares a little bit more. At the very height of his ministry, at a place where he felt like my whole life has been built for this, those lonely years in the desert and the wilderness, sitting there, looking up at the stars in the sky at night. If you've ever been out west or somewhere in a desert, the stars are just on another level. And, and thinking, the God of the heavens, he made me. He's called me for something special. What is it he's called me for? And, and, and every day we're told he'd learn from nature. He'd learn from what he studied and anything that was written. And then he'd learn from providence, just God impressing him and guiding him. And for his whole life, he's been prepared for this moment. And he'd been doing things that weren't easy for him to share, and he knew that, but yet people came to it. And now it's like it's all over. 90 days, 120 days after he started. Can you imagine that? 30 years of your life, three months into it. I guess that's it. I guess I got Israel's attention. 
And now they're going over there. And his disciples are frustrated because they were expecting the Elijah, the, the powerful leader. And next week we'll talk a lot about it a little bit more. John was too. John was too. We need a king to overthrow. And you, you don't need to be thinking that John was just this super religious monk unlike any of us. No, he had emotions. He was real. And like you and I, he might have thought, man, my whole life. I mean, I, I figured, have we done a lot of work yet? Have we done a lot of influence? And now it's at the peak, we're already starting to slide. Those temptations would come into his life. A beautiful idea talks about that this temptation would continually come and that even for us today, God can call someone to do a certain work. Something you've been called, you feel called to do in your life, and when he's carried it as far as he thinks you can take it, for some reason, God often calls somebody else to pick it up there and keep going. Why do you think that is? What do you think would have happened had John had maybe years of this? You could imagine other nations might have, to come, might have started to come around. You know, you have, you have a powerful style of preaching. You have influence. We'd like to propose to you some things. And all the work of arresting the attention of Israel could have been lost. And he understood that when he says, he must increase, but I must decrease. How does that look in your life? There's something you feel like, I thought I was called to this. I thought this was for me. Or it could be with, maybe it's someone in your life you've been trying to influence and maybe even study the Bible with. Maybe it's helping break an addiction. You've done all this work, whatever it may be. You've, you've been there for them. You've, you've spent the time, the energy, maybe the money, and you've gotten to a point and you haven't really seen the fruit of your labor. And then maybe somebody else swoops in and they get all the credit. But I did all this work for them. But I've done all this study. I, I got myself to this point. Why don't I get to see it all the way through? And this is, I think, that subtle point that we can learn from John the Baptist. I prayed every day. I got to this point in my life. And if I trusted in the Lord, he got me to here. He could have prevented that. If he's more powerful than me, he could have done whatever he wants. But for some reason, in this moment, or maybe you can look back, or maybe this is a lesson we'll see here in the near future in our lives, he got me to this point, and that's as far as he thought I should go. And the story of John teaches us, in perhaps no greater way, because he even has those temptations. Did I waste my time? Have I, have I worked all this time, all the all the stress and for what? And as we look at his story, Jesus calls him the greatest of all the prophets. Yet he's not one to call fire down from heaven. He's not one to part oceans. John just was raised a little differently. 
and he had a message that God gave him and he was impressed to share with the world that wasn't easy to share. And we're going to look more at that next week. But I hope as we get into this story, there's some lessons that we're going to learn. God has prepared you for something. Has anyone ever had that opportunity where you feel like, why did I go through this? This seems like a complete waste of time. Anybody ever had that experience? I did this thing and I absolutely think it was a waste of time. Okay. Now, anybody ever had years later where you finally realize, yeah, I know why I, I went through that. Anybody have that? So there's moments in life we do not understand why did I get to this point and maybe there's a pause and someone else seemed to carry forward that work. Maybe it's in a job. But why did I get to this point and then I went to a different career? I changed my major. I thought I was going to do this. I thought this was the career path. I thought this was the life path. And then somehow everything switched. If you've had that moment, you're going to be able to appreciate the feelings of John as we get deeper and deeper into this story to know if I commit my life to the Lord, if I really daily dedicate it to the Lord and ask him, lead me, then sometimes he's going to lead us through places we might not lead ourselves. But that if we know he has our best interest in mind, and John did waver a little there, he wondered, but we can have peace of mind knowing God is leading me. I don't know why he's got me here in this very moment, but I think he's leading me. And I hope you'll find some encouragement in that. And as we get more into it next week, we're gonna see what did this finally cost John as he's in a dungeon? Finally, someone has issue with him calling for the repentance of sins. And we'll dig into that more next week. Thank you so much for listening. We record these messages each week at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Adairsville. And if you're ever in the area, we'd love to see you. Stop in and say hi and enjoy some good Southern food with us. We'll see you next week.